Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to the podcast, conscience that made us, interviews and stories, tales from the bus, we love taking you back to when it all went down, the greatest live shows and that cheering crowd sound, it's concerts, concerts that made us, concerts that made us.com. Hi, this is Jason here from Gage, and you're listening to Concerts That Made Us. Never forget the morning they called me Said I should come soon, it's an emergency Red speeding car, tires grinding ground Hospital passages never sleep Realizing the situation is so real Exchanging words like presents I love you I love you too
Jason, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, man. It's great to have you. I'm looking forward to getting some insights into your music, especially the upcoming album now. So we kicked off the show with Baby B. It's off the upcoming album, World Below You, which is released on the 7th of April. Can you tell us a bit about the track? Um, yeah, the track was uh, basically written for um, my my um, ex-fiance. She passed away due to COVID uh, two years ago. I'm so sorry. And so... Uh, the song, yeah. So this song basically uh, was written was written for her, yeah. I see, I see. It was co-written with Tio from Springbok Nude Girls. He also mixed the album. What was it like working with Tio? Uh, Theo Kraus is absolutely such an amazing producer and engineer. Um, he's world class. Um, you know, he's also have got, he's got the world of experience, and he's also, you know, he's um, he's recorded so many artists, um, yeah, over in South Africa, um, which have really made it uh, very, very big, you know. And a lot of these bands are are touring all over the world, and he's recorded so many of these bands' albums. So, um, uh, for example, like Prime Circle, Barlow Tones, uh, Dan Paklansky. I don't know if you've heard of a blues guitarist called Dan Paklansky from South Africa. Yeah, yeah. He's recorded Dan Paklansky's albums, and uh, he's uh, recently uh, just got back from Los Angeles where he recorded a band in, in L.A. And, um, yeah, and he played a couple of uh, songs uh, to the Americans um, of, our, of our new stuff, and they really enjoyed it, you know. So it would be very nice to actually maybe go to Nashville <laughs> and, yeah. and see what we can do there. That will be fantastic. But um, Theo Kraft is an absolutely such an amazing guy and um, his, his, his skills are just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I actually, I suppose like a lot of people, I knew him through the, the Nude Girls and when I found out that he actually mixes and masters music as well, I was just amazed. And like you mentioned, finding out who he has worked with in that, in that uh, regard, it's unbelievable. No, for sure. He's really, really um I am so glad that we um that we went with Theo Grass for this new album. Um he mixed the album so nicely and then because uh, we we actually took originally we took uh, five songs for mixing to him. Um and then uh, we decided, you know what, we're gonna just let's just do a full-length album. So Theo Theo and myself, we co-wrote Baby B together and um he played some extra guitars on some of the other tracks and um and mixed them so beautifully. So, um, and he did some nice instrumentation on the, on the, on the tracks and stuff. And um, he played some bass guitar and some acoustic guitar in, on, in some of the tracks and some electric guitars. So, you know, we've, uh, the album is, is rich with, um, with some very good talent <laughs> on the album. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And the album deals with some kind of very dark themes. What was it like channeling so much tragedy into the music? Well, you know, um, a majority of the album was also, um, I also lost my dad about three years ago. Um, my dad passed away and um, my dad never, ever got to hear any of the songs that we wrote. So Will Below You was actually also um, a tribute to, to, my, to my late father. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a, a whole lot of mixed emotions uh, throughout the album. Um, but there are also, I must say, there are some, some very positive um, positive songs in the album as well. Uh, for example, like a song called Rise that we did, 
it's a very inspirational song um and it uh you know it's it's the the lyrics are, are very very positive and it gives hope as well to a lot of people so and it's taken five years in the making how does it feel to finally be getting it out and let people hear it Oh man, at uh, it, it, at times I we, I was so frustrated because I thought, oh, you know, it's never gonna get there, never gonna get there. Um, initially, the album started off uh, with a guy called uh, Theo Janser van Rensburg. Uh, he was our, he produced uh, our previous albums, and um, Theo actually immigrated to Spain. So then we were basically this is like throughout middle of the album. Then we had to change producers. Uh, we eventually ended up with um, JP uh, from P-Shop Studios in Johannesburg, Boxburg. He recorded and checked some of the songs, and uh, th those were five songs. So we wanted to originally release a five-track EP. And then I wasn't really um, convinced that, you know, that's 100% the sound that we're looking for. Um, it, was, it was recorded, to checked properly, everything, but we wanted to go for slightly harder sound, some bigger guitars, um, a little bit more of aggressive kind of sound. And that's when I contacted Theo and I said to Theo, would you, would you, be, um, would you be willing to, to remix the five songs? And then it just started becoming such fun. <laughs> and then eventually we sat down and we said, you know what? Oh, I think let's just release a, a full-length album. Then I went back to the drawing board um, in my little hometown, Kimberley. And I started doing some pre-production on some new songs. And uh, I was exchanging some of the ideas to Thea Krauss. And, and that's how it went. I spent a lot of time, um, actually, uh, quite a few months actually going up to uh, Cape Town to Thea Krauss. And uh, Thea was so, um, he was so cool about it. You know, we would just grab two acoustic guitars and Thea would say to me, okay, play the riff. Let me hear. What have you got? And then he goes, and then he would add his little bit. And, and that's how the songs actually developed, especially Baby B. Um, um, it, took a, it took such a lovely turn, actually. So, um, yeah, that was fun, but it was a long time. It was frustrating at times, but I think also um, we didn't just uh, rush the album for the sake of just getting putting an album out there. We were selective on the songs. Uh, we chose the songs carefully. And the production is very, very good. Um, so yeah, we um, I think that it was worth the wait. Are you guys the type of musicians now that once the album is done and it's out, you're straight onto the next one, or do you kind of let the the music settle for a bit before you think about the next next project? Um, there's always a, a, if a person really looks at the history of, of of Gage, there's always been like a two three year um gap between the albums. <laughs> this one's obviously a little bit longer. <laughs> But I think um, I think it's quite nice to be able to have this album do its thing on radio and um, perform the songs live. But I think it's also important um, to really start with some new material and and uh, and uh, try and look at another album already. You know what I mean? So that you've that you've got a nice backup again for something new again. True, true. And as well as T.O., the album features some other well-known South African musicians. How did you go about wrangling so many of them onto the one album? Um, one of my best friends, uh, Mark Buchanan, uh, we, used to play, we, we used to play in a couple of projects in Kimberley in our little hometown many years ago. And since then, when Mark uh, moved up to Johannesburg, he played with some well-known bands like Just Ginger, um, and Max Normal, which uh, later became Die Antwoord. 
daar net die woord wat die antwoord. It sounds familiar, alright. With Waddy Jones, uh, yeah, they 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 were actually very big uh, um, South African export, and they were, they made it very big. And uh, Mark used to be the bass player for that band, for Max Normal. And uh, you know we've been friends. Uh, oh, we were little babies. We were little babies in nappies already together. So um, and um, Mark is such an incredible guitar player. Um, I asked him, you know, I said to him, you know what? There's this beautiful acoustic track that we want to do. And he's got so much feel and he plays with so much um, color and and just passion, you know. So I asked him to play on the one track. And then um, there was a, the, the, the bass player, Jasper Janser van Rensburg. Uh, he's practically played on all our albums, um, our session bass player. So basically, I've been using him all, all these years to play on the album. And then... I met up with a guy called uh, Llewellyn Friend. Um, um, at there was a certain time where our guitar player actually left the band. Our original guitar player, he left for a little while, and that's when I actually just got hold of Llewellyn and I said to him, "Hey, man, would you be keen on maybe joining the band? And um, I want to go into the studio and record some stuff." And he was like, "Yeah, let's do it." Um, so uh, he featured on three of the songs um, of the new album. And as I said, Mark played on some of the albums, um, uh, some of the songs on the album. And then Theo Kraus uh, checked some guitars and some acoustics and some piano parts and bass parts. So, um, yeah, there's, I think there's a nice little, there's a nice, beautiful thread uh, throughout the album where you can hear some very tasteful playing throughout the musicians. At this point in the interview, I usually like to dive into my guests' history when it comes to music. So if you can now, can you remember your earliest musical memory? Uh, <laughs> that is such a long time ago. Um, <laughs> you mean the you mean the first uh, the, maybe the first band or the first song that I really 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 said this is why I want to become a musician. Yeah, um, yeah. I was I was very influenced by U two. Um, I used to listen to U two all the time. Oh. Um, when I was thirteen years old, I was already playing in pubs. <laughs> um, I had friends. I had friends that were uh, uh, quite a few years older than me. Uh, we had a band called Steel Roses, and uh, these guys were very big into you two. And uh, they would like drop cassettes off at my house and say, "Hey, Jason, I think you should learn Sunday Bloody Sunday. I think you should learn with without you." Like so, like basically, we, we did a lot of U two covers, and we we were really. Uh, I was fascinated with this band. Um, uh, so that is that is uh, my my experience with um, starting um, as a musician myself. That's what I used to listen to. Ah, and growing up, did you grow up in a musical household? Was there, you know, was there lots of support for music in your home? My dad used to be a fantastic uh, vocalist. My uncle, um, the same. My my dad and my uncle had a band for many many years. So. I would go and my mom would put me in the little carry cot right next to the speakers at the gigs. And then I would fall asleep listening to my dad <laughs> sing <laughs> all, all the golden oldies. <laughs> and uh, I just basically grew up. I used to go and um, go to all my dad's little band practices. And then I would sort of get a feel for the drums. And then eventually they let me like play drums, um, you know, like on one or two songs at the gigs. And that's how I really got into it. But I mean, um, I was very influenced by my dad and my uncle, yeah. I'm always saying, you know, your teenage years are when you find 
it's it's kind of always intertwined with music you know you find your community true music and so many teenage experiences are linked to songs for people what kind of music were you exposed to by your peers during your teenage years and how do you think it molded you into the musician you are today um my dad is a huge beatles fan and a rolling stones fan um i was i was I used to love, and the Bee Gees, my dad used to love the Bee Gees as well. Oh. <laughs> I was really fascinated. Um, um, one thing that gripped me those years, um, I think um, those days, um, I think especially in the 60s and the 70s, a lot of those bands used to have such nice harmonies. And, and uh, you know, I, I think there was no auto-tuning those years. <laughs> like those guys are like, you know what I'm saying? What you, what, you know, they, they used to go into the studio and actually just play. And if it wasn't right there to just record the whole song over again, there was no sort of cutting and pasting and auto-tuning, yeah, and, you know. So, um, but also the harmonies, I was very fascinated with harmonies. Uh, even the bands like the Hollies, um, those years, uh, I really, I, I admired their songwriting and I thought the songwriting, those bands, those years, if it were writing good songs. And I remember listening to, to those songs, like when we used to go on fishing trips, my dad, we used to drive this old Opal Cadet and um, my dad used to put on like the Bee Gees and the Rolling Stones, and I think I think those were like were very strong influences. And I, I used to listen to a lot of that. I was exposed to that um, as a youngster. Yeah, some great ones there. I uh, I wasn't expecting the the Beatles or the Bee Gees now, <laughs> but uh, no, good ones, good ones. <laughs> and the very old ones. Yeah, true, true. You can't beat the Beatles. Yeah. And as a concert goer yourself, what concerts would you say have made you? Um, my favorite band of all time has got to be AHA. I really love them. And I was very fortunate to watch them in 20, I think 2018 or 2019. They performed in South Africa and I was blown away with them. And I've, I've watched YouTube twice. Um, I've watched Sting. In, in South Africa, um, Spin Doctors, Yuzenba, all those bands. So, um, but I think my my biggest um, thing was, oh, I just, they blew me away as a live act. It was so good. Yeah, that's, that's actually a first now on the podcast that they've ever been mentioned. I've always thought to myself, I wouldn't mind seeing them. They're kind of one of them bands that... For me, anywhere, always in the background, you know, when they come on, you know their songs. You don't know how you know them, but you know them and you like them. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people don't um, actually realize that. Um, Aha, um, you know, they, they 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 had this, they had all those hits like uh, Sun Always, Always Shines and for TV and um, Living Daylights and all that. Those are the pop songs, Take On Me and everything. But um, they were actually, um, you know, the, the, the later albums like Analog and all those were brilliant albums. You know, it's like, it's not pop at all. It's actually very melancholy, very, it's very different to, to, to the stuff that we used to listening to on the radio. And I think that is what drew me to the band musically and their songwriting um, is, is just so good. It's just very, very good. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And for any of the listeners that haven't caught one of your shows, what can they expect? Lots of energy, 
<laughs> um, a, a raging, bouncing drummer that does vocals, which is unusual, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I, 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 there's not many bands where you can actually come to watch, you know, where the drummer is the main vocalist. That's something I actually wanted to ask you. How did you, you know, how did you even come up with that, that you're going to drum and sing at the same time? That's near impossible. <laughs> I, I just I think I started I started actually playing on little suit on a um, on my school suitcases at a very young age with with teaspoons, <laughs> and I would just automatically just sing along and just make up my own songs or just as I said earlier maybe just play along to the Beatles on my suitcases on my school desks <laughs> and it became quite natural just to sing and play drums at the same time. So I think I was yeah it just it just fell in place. <laughs> That's how it worked. <laughs> It definitely worked anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it worked, yeah. It worked on my mom's nerves as well because she used to get very angry with me. She would walk into the room and just grab the suitcase and say, enough is enough now, my boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and um, you guys, you've played festivals and toured overseas. Now, after speaking with so many South African musicians, I know that's a major accomplishment. How do you guys get to the level where you can actually make that dream a reality? Um, our first um, tour that we embarked, our uh, first uh, international tour that we embarked on was in 2016. Um, all our tours are self-financed um, and basically we... We take a year in advance. We take a year to set up all these gigs. Um, and uh, we, we've got a couple of South African friends overseas in the UK. Uh, we're very fortunate. There's a guy that's got like a sound company and he's got an old panel van. <laughs> right. which, which, we, which we can tour in um, at a slip past the MOT. So we were very fortunate. <laughs> but I think like um, the, the 2016 tour, the, 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 the van was very rusted. 2017, more rusted. Uh, 2018, very rusted. And then uh, the last year that we went in 2019, it didn't pass the MOT. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> So, but but it was uh, I was very sad when when Cameron said to us, "You cannot use that van anymore. We need to find something else." Because we spray painted our names, um, we played some festivals like uh, Mugstock uh, in Glasgow. Uh, we did the Junk and Monkey Festival, um, and then we did the French Festival in Edinburgh. We did that one; that was fantastic. Um, but getting back to your question, um, all of these tours were self-financed. Uh, we saved up. We played a lot of terrible gigs. <laughs> loads of terrible gigs just to save up money to actually go and play to some festivals to play some to play to some fresh people fresh faces and um yeah they they enjoy rock music over there and that is what i love about it that's for sure and how do the gigs overseas compare to the gigs at home uh much different much different um uh, the rock scene in south africa is very very small um there's hardly a rock scene in South Africa. Um, so basically, uh, we've got a much bigger fan base in the UK as, um, as in South Africa. So our, our, our band does a lot better overseas than, than in our own country. Yeah, yeah. And I have to ask, do you find that, you know, when you tour overseas and you return home, you're kind of perceived differently? You know, it's almost like, oh, these guys are big shots now. They've made it. Yeah, I think um, 
you, you know, I, I think they, they they see the glamour um, and they see all of that and they, you know, oh, this band's just got back from overseas in the UK. Uh, but they also don't see the struggles and they don't see, like, you know, the what what we need to go through. You know, I think a lot of them think, oh, we stay in five-star hotels um, um, in the UK after every gig and we've got helicopters that drop us off on stage. <laughs> but what they don't know is that um, a lot of times we just end up sleeping in the venues. I <laughs> <Right>. feel <laughs> sorry for us. He goes, okay, guys, you can sleep in the venue. Um, I remember we actually we ended up sleeping in a venue um, on an old church bench. In <laughs> um, an old leather couch, I actually, um, we spent a week at this venue in the UK. And uh, this lady, Brunilda, she felt so sorry for us. And she goes, uh, guys, I think you can just stay here. But um, one of you must sleep with a dog. Maybe the dog's going to get on the couch every now and then and <laughs> but you guys can help yourselves to some coffee in the bar and then like but I think like after a week she would go guys I think it's time to move on it's not all it's not all like glamour and it's you know like it's there's a lot of struggles where you you can't find a place to, to stay so you sleep in the combi or whatever but when we do get back our whole minds are our mindsets are different definitely it's it's they do see you they i think they do take you a lot more serious because i think they they sort of see okay these guys are serious about their music and you know they're taking their music to the rest of the world so um i think a lot of them do a lot of people do admire us for for doing that you know it takes it takes them doing some guts to actually do do that it's not it's not the easiest thing yeah, definitely. You have to kind of take the leap and see what happens. And out of all the gigs you've played then, what gig experience would you say you, you revisit over and over again as maybe the perfect gig for you? I enjoyed the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh. Um, that was fantastic. Um, we actually had um, the festival lined up in the in the old church over there. Um and we were like sort of the headline band, which was fantastic. There were like four or five hundred people in the hall, in the in the in the whole venue. But um, we were so well received. Um, like a lot of people didn't know the songs, but um, you know our song, a lot of our choruses are so catchy. So we would like stop in the middle of the song, <laughs> and then like there's a there's a song that we have it's called Empty Spaces. So like the people could actually just you know they could they could they could latch on so so quickly to the songs, because the choruses are very catchy you know, so um, that was like a, a fantastic experience because like after that like people would like after the gig they go empty spaces, <laughs> like <laughs> and then we had another song called Control. Um, uh, the, the the main chorus is you spin me out of control, and for us that was like amazing because like. Um, Everybody was just enjoying the band and singing along, and it was just such an energetic kind of gig, you know. Uh, that whole French festival was beautiful. We've had a lot of nice ones, but I, I remember that one as standing out as being really, really nice and good. Only every gig could be like that, huh? And out of all the gigs, to flip it around, is there a gig you would say is the worst experience you've had, and how did you deal with it? I think the um the <laughs> we actually played just to a sound engineer once. <laughs> right. <laughs> we wanted to um yeah, like we were told that there there's um, gonna be quite a few people at the gig. <laughs> so we drove from our hometown, we drove all the way, um, it was like a seven hour journey uh, to Johannesburg from from Gimbley. Um 
and it was a door deal. Lucky enough, we had like a lucky enough we had a TV a TV appearance that we had to do. So we went through for that, but we were very excited about playing this gig. And then when we got there, like there was another band that played before us, and we thought, okay, maybe we're starting a little bit too early, or what's the story? And we, you know, eventually we just said, you know what, let's see this as a paid rehearsal. <laughs> like we're just gonna let's just play, and. Fortunately for us, we actually played, the sound engineer was, um, the actual sound engineer was a main organizer of a very big festival called the Strad Festival in Mozambique. And he called us and he said, guys, <laughs> I take my hats off to you. Like you guys just played your hearts out to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I am the, the main organizer of Strad Festival. Would you guys like to play the Strad Festival next year? And we were like, yeah, man, yeah, man, must we do another set? <laughs> and it ended up like such a big jerk and everything. And then we, yeah, and then we ended up playing the Strab Festival after that. Like, but I mean, it, it actually turned out to be quite a, a worth a worthwhile gig doing. Yeah. 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 Sounds like it. And, you know, when you're on tour, what kind of wild antics do you guys get up to? <laughs> <laughs> What kind of nonsense do we get up to, eh? Yeah. Um, we actually, we are actually very, very um, good guys. We we don't uh, we don't we don't take things out of control. We actually, <laughs> after the gig, we will just go and buy a nice burger or something, um, uh, or play darts or or play or like we we enjoy playing pool, a lot of pool snooker. That's that's what we do. Like, but we're not. We're not. We actually. I think we're quite. We're quite a good rock and roll band. <laughs> <laughs> the choir boys of rock and roll, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what's your pre-show and post-show ritual? How do you psych yourself up, and then how do you wind down afterwards? Um, I like to wind down with a very big Guinness after the gig. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> And then before the gig, I feel um, you know our, our vibe is actually just to connect with the audience, you know. So we would like before the gig. I know a lot of bands would um, before they go on stage, they would basically sit backstage and just we do that. We do up. We would like warm up with some nice harmonies. And Lala, our guitar player, he plays a like a seven string Jackson. So he would sit there, and sit on the couch, and just go over the stuff. And we'd go a couple of harmonies and. The, you know, just go over the set and all that. And then we would like sort of mingle with the crowd. We would sort of go and chat to them and, you know, make them just make it like a very homely, intimate kind of vibe, uh, irrespective of how big the gig is. We just try and connect with the people as much as we can with the audience. Um, yeah, that is what we do. Right, right. And, you know, after 16 years in the game, how do you, you know, stay fresh and stay on top of it? It's, uh, sometimes it's very, very hard to, <laughs> you know, you've got a lot of ups and downs. And I, I just think that um, the, the, the songwriting sort of keeps me, keeps me on top of it, you know. Um, and then you always have to realize that uh, music is bigger than what you are. You are never, you must never be bigger than the music. So I think just to keep yourself, uh, you just, you know, stay humble, stay humble. And, you know, I think it's good to listen to other bands, what they are doing. And, and 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 learn from other bands um, 
and just you know i, I think you need you, you just need to, to look at the bigger picture and say you know what it might be we might be going through a little bit of a, a rough time now but things always get better you know so there are all ups and downs where you feel oh really you know and then you just push you forward and you push through and you just make it happen again nice i like that i like that outlook and as a band how do you guys measure success oh i think um if you play if you can if you can play if you can if you can um play one of your own songs if you there doesn't have to be a thousand people there if you can just connect with one person or two persons or two people that can really say wow that is such a cool song you know that is just i think that is i think that is that is that is an accomplishment um for someone to to appreciate what you do and um that is how i measure it i don't measure it by album sales or or anything like that i just i just you know be truthful to what you do and that is what you must do that is that, that's how it must be yeah yeah as long as you're touching people with the music yeah, <laughs> and say in thirty years' time, you're old, grey. You're probably playing gigs in the nursing homes. I'm already, I'm already grey. <laughs> <laughs> well, greyer. <laughs> I'll be a lot greyer. <laughs> you're uh, you're playing the gigs in the nursing homes. You look back at your career. What do you want your legacy to be? Oh, legacy. Mm. Yo, that's a tough one. I just want people to remember us, um, to re remember our songs, and to remember the name, and to, um, yeah, just to 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 have that kind of um, uh, thing uh, in their minds. You know, it's a good one. It's a good one. Before we dive into the last couple of questions, then I'm looking forward to this. Tell us your future plans, gigs, music, everything. Our future plans is to, um, we want to go back to the UK next year. Uh, we've already been invited to play the Drunken Monkey Festival, as well as a lot of the UK festivals. And we also want to try out Germany as well. Ah. We want to try and tour, tour Germany, and then we want to come try and play, play it for you guys as well. That would be great. That'd be. I was hoping you'd say something like that. I uh, it'd save me a, a plane trip to the UK or Germany, I suppose. <laughs> For sure. Um, with my previous band called the Sunways, we toured um Northern Ireland and Belfast for four months. Jeez, four months. It's a tiny country. What did you do for four months? Stay <laughs> in a micro bus with a sleeping bag and drink a lot of vodka. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good four months. <laughs> Absolute vodka. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. So um, we um, uh, actually one of my friends uh, he's, he, he was the main guitarist for Sunrise. He's based in Ireland at the moment, and um, he's taken up like an acting career now. <laughs> I don't even think he even plays guitar anymore. But, um, we would really like to come. We really would like to come to Ireland and play there for you guys. Yeah, that would be a uh, that'd be pretty great. And it's not too far across the uh, the ocean from the UK. You could literally get the ferry across and be back for the next gig. Jeez, I'd love to do that. Well, that would be something really special. 
Yeah, yeah. Right, we'll uh, we'll dive into the last couple of questions. So, if you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only, who would it be? Freddie Mercury. Right, right. I uh, I like the quickness in the response. Absolutely. That's uh, really that's like Freddie Mercury. What a performer! What an artist! What a voice! I I would have loved to see him live. Yeah, the ultimate, the absolute ultimate. And if you had to spend 24 hours locked inside a room with any musician from history, who would it be? <laughs> um, I would say Sting. Right. Really? Yes. I've heard he can be uh, quite temperamental, though. It might not be a good 24 hours. It might not be, but I think I can learn a lot from him. Yeah, true. <laughs> I'll just take some duct tape. <laughs> I'll, all the info, I'll just duct tape his mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what song would appear on the soundtrack to your life? Ooh, that's a difficult one. Mm. Oh, that is a very difficult one. Sure. Could I get back to you on that one? <laughs> <laughs> if you must, if you must. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, uh, that's 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 very that's a difficult question. It is, it is, especially when you're put on the spot like that. And the final one, so to flip it around, is there something I should have asked you? Mm. When are we coming to Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> when exactly, Jason? <laughs> yeah, I need the, day, the exact the hour. Day, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Listen, Jason, it's been an absolute blast. Genuinely, it's one of the most fun interviews I've done in a while now. So thanks a million. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Fallen days to make me feel stronger now.
Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing here? The show's over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here.